I am Roy Malloy, and you are listening to The Dawn of Crime, a podcast dedicated to Australia's more interesting individuals, those who committed the crimes that kept us going, kept the newspapers printing, and kept us talking over our lunch breaks. I'm going to be joined today by comedian Shane Gordon, a long-time stand-up comedian, funny man, but also a, a newbie to history. And so I thought it'd be fun to have him along for the ride while we talk about one of... Uh, one of the more interesting things that came out of the death of Squizzy Taylor. Um, so Shane, welcome to the Dawn of Crime. Thank you, Roy. Thanks for having me. What have you been doing during the COVID lockdown, Shane? Uh, thinking about crimes of the <laughs> early 1900s, really. And, Nothing else. Yeah. That's all you've been doing. Just <laughs> yeah, just staring at the wall and just thinking, huh, wonder what our Squizzy Taylor got up to. For those of you just joining us, Shane Gordon is also a highly trained personal, uh, a high achieving personal trainer, um, cricket enthusiast, and um, exercise boffin. A boffin? <laughs> I don't think I've boffin. never heard that word. Yeah, at all. I've heard buffoon. <laughs> so, I don't think it's used enough. I, th- I think if you haven't heard it, clearly it's not used enough. But he's an incredibly fit man. And so uh, I-, I thought what I'd do. In your exercise career, would you say you've run more distance between cricket wickets than any other form? Or do you also? Um, no, more distance in cricket wickets. Um, no, no, definitely not. No, I would have ran more just uh, in, in general play. In Big general old laps of an oval? Yeah, I go, for, I go for a couple runs a week, so... I get those Ks into those little legs. And because I've got little legs, so I take more steps. So, Well, Shane uh, shares, uh, I'll say not quite shares, but comes close to sharing another similarity with uh, Leslie Squizzy Taylor in that he is, how tall do you measure, Shane? Uh, 167. What's that in feet? About 5'7". Five, 5'7". Seven. Five, seven. Squizzy Taylor was 5'1". So oh, was, I didn't know that. Uh, and in Australian law, if you're under five foot, you're required to wear a five-point restraint in a car. <laughs> and so I, I often have these ideas of Squizzy Taylor with his, um, you know, his pistol in hand and his, his gangster-looking clothes in a five-point child restraint in the back seat. Is that the one that goes up the middle? It is. And if he mucks around, you just give it a good yank. <laughs> really strap him in. <laughs> so, so this story does, it relates to two things. One is, can you run when it counts? Have you ever found yourself in a position, Shane, where you've had to really make a run for it? Uh, oh, yeah, of course. And is yeah, it, it's, was, but in, know, in my, like like daily life? Yeah, not really taking off. Um, nothing that I can think of, but I'm sure I have. Like when, when you're a smart ass, yeah. You yeah, yeah. <laughs> this is exactly where that's going. That's a, that's a, you've just kind of drawn the scenario this relates to. So the year is 1927 and the area is Fitzroy. Now, when I say Fitzroy, what do you think of? Uh, $4 pizzas at Bimbo Deluxe. Yeah, and lattes and affluent houses owned by hipsters. Yeah, that's right. People think they're cooler than what they are. <laughs> it's actually an expensive lifestyle to look like you're homeless it really is <laughs> <laughs> that's right what is it the uh it costs a lot to look this poor yeah that's right but the year was 1927 and fitzroy was anything but nice 
Um, one journalist described it as having more shadows than the darkest German forest. And so it's the year also when Squizzy Taylor was shot dead and by and also shot dead Snowy Cutmore. So that this all happened where Snowy and Squizzy had a very famous shootout where Squizzy... They loved the nickname, didn't they? They did love a good nickname. There, there are some great ones too. There's, you know, there's all the busters and all the, the blowies and the blueies and the, the jackers and the, all those Aussie mm. nicknames. Are, they're rife in this period. And so there's... Squizzy's real name? Sorry. Was, he had a long name. His name was uh, Joseph Leslie Theodore Taylor. Yeah. And he, ironically, his parents loved good long names. And he had an older sister who had a very long name, but they nicknamed her Queenie. And he had younger brothers who had long names. But then he's got this older brother who's just Claude. That, that's his <laughs> name. No middle name at all. Every other brother and sister in the eight have long names, just Claude. Yeah, they ran out of names after more or less. Hours. But he was a he was a vicious psychopath, Claude. But back to Squizzy on on this day in 27th of October, nineteen twenty seven, Taylor goes in through the front door of a house where Snowy Cutmore is in bed because he's he caught the flu. Now we we think about the pandemic that we're in. That they had they're on the back end of suffering through a huge flu pandemic, and Snowy's in bed with the flu. He's just come back from Sydney. And there's a long history with these two blokes. And Snowy ends up uh, in bed and Squizzy comes in and shoots. Snowy shoots back. And the shooting goes back and forth until Squizzy is dead. But this hits the media and it's a sensation. I mean, it's, it's your, it's your five-star um, Hollywood-style gangster murder. And people were following Al Capone at this time. And to every idiot out there, it was cool. To the middle class and anybody with an education, it was terrifying but interesting. Like, remember when, when the Morans and the, are you old enough to remember the, the shootings that were going on with the, the more recent Carlton Crew War? Oh, yeah. I've seen Underbelly. Yeah. Like, we followed that, didn't we? I've got to be honest. Mm. A bit of interest. But this, this was followed in the media. So the fallout from this was that, the very next day, every one of these, uh, how do you describe them? Every gang that was a group of bored, disaffected young men grabbed whatever weapons they could and they hit the streets to be Squizzy Taylor. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Sounds now, frightening. In your experience, do you get a lot of instances in the world of cricket where you get um, disaffected young men roaming in gangs or is that just cricket in general? <laughs> no, they normally uh, just go to the pub and uh, yeah, that's is disinfected. Is that what the word you Dis, use? Disinfected. <laughs> disinfected. I think I've met some some sports people that should be disinfected, but <laughs> and in this case, I think also the young men we're talking about should also very well have been disinfected. <laughs> but you, we we see a story that emerges the next day. A couple of stories. There, there's overnight on the 28th of October there's several shootings around Melbourne and these aren't in any way related to Squizzy Taylor. These are idiots who want to be Squizzy Taylor. If that makes sense. Mm, so then yeah. Fitzroy primary school is built facing a, a, a parkland, which is the Edinburgh gardens. And the Edinburgh gardens were also absolutely synonymously renowned as a place you would not set foot in after dark. Um, it was just a complete stomping ground for people who wanted to dump 
the dead bodies of animals, trash. The school itself that uh, faces directly across the road from the gardens was shut down for a long period of time only years earlier because there was so much trash dumped there by the public. We're talking the bodies of horses were dumped in this park. That yeah. They had to close the school down because the children were getting sick from the fallout of the rotting, decaying debris. Right, it's a bad place. Go to and had like a hungy. <laughs> Almost could, and so the school itself still persevered. And one of the things they did was they had the Friday night dance. So the dance went ahead, and a young man went into the dance. Um, a young fellow called um, Matthew uh, Matthew Michael Bergen. Now Bergen is a good bloke, from what I understand. He's a cabinet maker and he's a boxer. He's an athletic bloke. He's got a girlfriend, goes to church, and he shows up for the dance. Now, at this point in time, they are 1.4 kilometers from the house where Squizzy shot Snowy. Right? So then he goes into this house, into this school hall. It's a drill hall from World War I. It's your quintessential side hall for a school, right? While he's there, he's having his dance, he hears, gets a tap on the shoulder and his mate says to him, hey, the Riley Push are out the front. Now, Shane, what would you think the Riley Push are? Uh, sounds like another gang, but not as tough. It just... <laughs> doesn't sound tough at all, does it? <laughs> Got to no. be honest, if, if somebody said the Riley Rats are after you... <laughs> Yeah, yeah, rats are more threatening than someone that just goes around pushing people. <laughs> and the word push comes from where you're walking down the street, there's, you walk through a group of half a dozen blokes, one of them pushes you, another pushes you, and they push you till you hit the floor, then the kicking begins and they pull everything out of your pockets. Literally yeah. is, that's what a push gang is. So the Riley push also, they kind of, their totem and their place that kind of unites them is the North Fitzroy Arms. Now, it's still there as a hotel, it's a great hotel, but... Again, it's the kind of place where you get 20 kinds of Palmer, beautiful tap beer from around the world, right? But back then, these scumbags, that was their haunt. <laughs> Makes sense. So these guys yeah. are all out the front. Now, 18 months earlier, poor old Bergen, his girlfriend was, uh, I, I can't quite find the newspaper article that says what happened, but it, it kind of alludes that she was sexually assaulted by one of these idiots from the Riley Push. So he's got a bone to pick. I think he might have decked one of them at some point. And I've, I reckon in any of these pieces of research I do, I possibly read as many as 30 different newspaper articles per research piece. But I couldn't find what begun this 18-month battle. So everybody says to Bergen, what, what would you do if the Riley, <laughs> the Riley rats are out the front? You've only got one exit to the building. What, yeah, what would I know. Yeah, you're shooting your way out of there if you if you pack in heat, which I'm well, he's sure not. He's not. He's a boxer. He's a, but you're little and you're fast. You can. You might stand a chance of just sprinting, cricket bat in hand. <laughs> yeah, because I take it everywhere I go. I would. Yeah. <laughs> so it might have done him well on this night, but he, he just pulls his pulls his hat down over his brow and just walks out. Right. That's the only kind of real option he's got. He's been an hour waiting, and they're not going. So that's what he does. And he heads out to Alfred Alfred Crescent on the street. And Bergen sees them and he kind of puts his head down, tries to walk, but the, the jeering begins, you know, the, the, the name calling and there's several of them. Until, and he just thinks, you know what, I'll just, just keep walking. But then he gets a shove in the back. 
This kid called mm-hmm. James Baines. He's he's 24 years old, this guy. Shane, how I'm 45. How old are you this year? I'm 40. Yeah. At 24, what were you doing with your life? Oh, I think I was just started personal training and I almost yeah. bought my studio. Yeah. yeah. I had a circus, two traveling vehicles and a truck and a mortgage and a wife and two children. <laughs> mm. um, but this guy, his, his name's um, James Baines. Uh, sorry, th- this guy is, is James Baines and we're talking about Bergen, right? But Baines and Bergen, they sound similar, but Baines is hanging around with 17-year-old boys in a push gang. <laughs> and, um, you know, he's, he's out there and he shoves poor old Bergen in the back. Bergen turns to him and he says, You're right, you wanna you wanna have a go? I'll, I'll, he puts down his coat, pulls up his fists. Mm. And now Bain, uh, Bergen, the, the 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 boxer, he's only 18, right? He's younger. But he turns, yeah. he puts his fists up, and Baines goes, shit, and he runs. <laughs> Scary cat. But this this makes uh Bergen pretty cross. And he goes, you know, I'm not gonna. So he chases him. Baines jumps a fence or tries to, and that's when Bergen grabs him. He's going to rip him off the fence and pound him one. Baines pulls out a pistol, and he shoots it twice in the air. Now, I, I dare say he's trying to shoot it over his shoulder at Bergen, but he's shooting what's called a Webley, W-E-B-L-E-Y. It's a pretty standard issue World War I weapon. I remember prior to the Port Arthur massacre, when the John Howard government did an amnesty on guns and said, just bring us your guns. No fine. Doesn't matter if you have them licensed or not, just surrender them. We'll destroy. Do you remember how many guns were surrendered? Oh, I remember seeing the, the photos of the, the... Like mountains, literally yeah, physical yeah. mountains. And I remember back in high school days, you could say to a room full of your mates, whose dad has a gun, at least three or four of them would. Yep. I, I hung around with psychopaths, admittedly. But... Um, <laughs> 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 but this is kind of the case. He's got hold of a. It wasn't hard at all. Immediately after World War One, to get hold of these kinds of weapons, you just kind of go to a mate's place or your dad's place and grab the gun from the bottom drawer when he's not looking. So he's firing a, a, you know, shells, and uh, this makes um, Bergen let Baines go. Baines sprints off. Bergen goes, "No, nah, not having it," and he chases him. <laughs> he continues chasing a kid with a gun. Now you know the the laneways in in um, Fitzroy. Yep. They're kind of endless, aren't they? They're very narrow, they're cobbled, and they're, 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 they're sinister almost, you know. We chase this kid down and he, he gets on top of him because he's training. You know, you can always pick someone in a fight who's still training, can't you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And so this kid's still training. He's a boxer and he's 18 and he gets on top of this 24-year-old thug and he gets hold of him. He's still firing the gun. He doesn't shoot. It doesn't actually manage to shoot uh, Bergen. Bergen takes the pistol from him, smacks him with it. Yeah. But as he does, as he does, one of these idiots, one, one, another one of the Riley rats, we're going to get him, boys, <laughs> comes up behind him and he's got, a, he's got another classic push gang weapon. What would you believe? A classic, this is, this is as quintessential as we think Al Capone and the Tommy gun. What do you believe a, the, the classic push gang weapon of all time is? Is it a, a knife up a sleeve? Look, that would be an obvious one. But the cops can pat you down and find a knife, and they often did. Cops had a lot more rights back then. So it's not a knife. Oh, okay. 
It's something you more can ice than now. feel easily. Um, something maybe in the brim of your hat? Well, that, then you got your Peaky Blinders kind of concept, but the coppers would find that too. What he had was a sock mm. and a lead weight. Oh. So what he'd do is he'd take the lead weight, drop it in the mm. sock, and that thing had the velocity of about 100 kilometres an hour when you swing it properly. Yep. That makes sense? Okay, yeah. Yeah, now, like a hammer thinking about the effectiveness of this, uh, the Fitzroy Vendetta had happened in 19... 19 so not a decade earlier like eight years earlier and the Fitzroy Vendetta was when there were reprisal shootings back and forth over the division of a uh, a jewel heist where 200 100 rings or so were, were stolen and one group that was involved didn't get as many rings as the other group and so the shootings begun and a lot of them were using Webley pistols so you get a case where a fellow called Henry Slater gets shot four times in the stomach and once through the arm he lives. You get another, another instance where a bloke is sitting in a chair, bloke walks up to him at point blank range, shoots him twice in the chest, and he lives. So they're not an incredibly powerful weapon. And if you get hit in the back of the Did head... Did they shoot the, bullets or bits of potato? Well, it, it, these are actual bullets in a, in a Webley pistol. Right? And so then if you're going to get hit with either, uh, which, which would you prefer to be hit with, a, a gun or a lead weight in a sock? Well, if everyone's surviving, I'm going with the, uh, yeah, I'd rather get shot by the gun. It just sounds you'll like make, a beast. You'll make news better, won't you? And I think there's something to be sad about. And he was killed with a sock. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And so he's, Bergen's on top of Baines. He's about to thump him good and proper. One of his idiot mates comes up behind him and belts him in the back of the head with a weight in a sock. So then it gets to court, police are involved, the, the thugs have run off. Where would you be, what, what would your first port of call be in this kind of instance? Where, what would you do if you were the victim or you were the culprit? Um, oh, yeah, you just hide and there's plenty of little sneaky laneways down that Fitzroy way, in a doorway, maybe in someone's backyard. It's exactly what they did. They went to hiding, but they were rounded up because they were very well known. So then it goes to court and both of the idiots, uh, they're going to be done, but they had one of those moments of lawyer brilliance. So a case involving a shooting and a gun is going to go to the high court and you'll have a jury and all the evidence will be presented. And it's the kind of case also that can only be really sentenced effectively in the high court. But what you have is a brilliant lawyer that says, hang on, you've got a case coming up for housebreaking. And Bain says, yeah, I do. I, I'm going to be, you know, get a slap on the wrist with five pound fine for that. And that's pretty normal. And he says. Five and so, pounds. How much would that be worth? It's about two weeks wage. And so. Yeah, okay. So he goes, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to uh, try and combine the two cases and I'm going to have them both heard in the lower court because the lower court doesn't possess the equipment to be able to process a, a hearing of this magnitude. And he does it. He gets away with it. And he gets both the housebreaking case and also 
the the case for having firearms and discharging them in a public place and attempted murder, he has them heard in the low court. The judge chucks the whole lot out and gives him just a fine for five pound. Now the police They're probably on the made, for sure. Well, the police probably made the same noise. It was a just a, a maneuver of brilliance by. I've never had a good experience with a lawyer. I've got to be honest. So <laughs> it's probably <laughs> one of those moments. So the police, they stood back and they went, you know what? That's absolutely crook. And they couldn't do that. They couldn't charge him twice for the same offence. He got off for attempted murder. So they, they recharged him for discharging a firearm in a public place and not having a licence for a firearm. The lawyer, again, processed it in a sneaky kind of way. And he had the charge for they they presented evidence which made it too confusing for the 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 judge to understand what was happening they just denied 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 and they had the judge say you know we can't prove that he had a gun we have no actual proof no policeman saw it it's one boy's word against another boy's word we're dismissing that charge and that also dismisses the charge of discharging the firearm and he walked man got away with a discharge he got away (laughs) <laughs> he got away with the discharge. And I think that brings us to the conclusion of this episode of the Dawn of Crime, where we can effectively say he got away with the discharge. I have been Roy Malloy. This has been our good friend, Mr. Shane Gordon. Thoroughly enjoyed having you on again, Mr. Gordon. And uh, in the meantime, if you are on Facebook, do check out the Dawn of Crime uh, or Roy Malloy author. Make sure you like the page and subscribe to anything that is playing this podcast right now.